0: No er det tid for Nordisk Potrik Welcome to our podcast featuring interviews, music, folk tales, and lots of hygge, all with a Nordic flavor. I'm your host, Eric Stavney. Welcome to Nordic on Tap. In this podcast, we'll learn about the unique horse breed, the Norwegian Fjord Horse. But before we get started, I wanted to call out our listener survey on the website. It's right there on nordicontap.com homepage. Just as soon as this episode finishes, navigate to the nordicontap.com website and click that blue button to share with me what you enjoy most about this program. You can also contact us at nordicontap at gmail.com, or leave comments right there in the comment box after the show notes, links, and photos on the website. And now you can click on the Buy Me a Coffee button on the website to contribute a few dollars to the show to help keep us going, which we would much appreciate.
1: Hi, welcome to <laughs> So, this obviously is Sandra. And- She's the mother to Celia. So the breed goes back about 4,000 years. So we'll put that in time.
0: And so it began this way for me seven years ago at a Norwegian heritage fair north of Bothell, Washington. I had grown up with sisters who were horse aficionados, and they got me to read some classics. Uh, My Friend Flicka, Black Stallion, the movie... Black Beauty, Misty of Shinkoteague, and later I became a fan of Dick Francis novels that have to do with horses and horse racing, and my appreciation of horses has slowly grown and when I started to get interested in my Scandinavian heritage, I of course learned about sheep and cows and pigs that they have on mountain farms, but horses, I thought Norway has horses. And someone pointed one out to me on a trip to Norway. Uh, it was a smaller horse, more compact and solid than sort of a long-legged, flashy race horse, or those big draft horses that pull wagons around in parades. These were quintessential Nordic horses, especially Norwegian horses. My friend Turhild called them Fjordhester, or more simply Fjoringar. So, there I was with my daughter Linnea, who was pretty horsey, and we met Rory and Christine Miller of Chehalis, Washington. They were showing their tremendous fjord horses, Silja, Leif, and Sandra, in this field in front of a Sons of Norway lodge, and I knew then that they were pretty special. You know, it was like listening to a hardanger fiddle, or watching Nordic folk dancers spinning around in folk costumes. Since that day, I've been lucky to see Rory about once a year in Seattle's Sitnamay or 17th of May Parade and have recently learned that Rory and Christine not only own and raise Fjord Horses, they compete with them. This is their story. I began by sitting down with them and asking about how they came to be Fjord Horse owners, and we started with Christine.
2: See my history. We immigrated to the U.S. in '51 when I was small, and came to Washington. I have been absolutely a horse nut since before we actually even left Norway. I can remember the day I could tell the difference between a horse and a cow, and <laughs> seriously. And so I've always been a horse nut. But when we were getting close to, well, I had retired. We had acquired a piece of land in Sheolus, where we live, and we started talking about building a house there and moving, and, and that was a chance for me to get a horse again, and Rory, who hadn't had experience with horses, wanted to get into them and because he really liked them, and to his credit, at 59, he started taking riding lessons, and, you know, not many are going to dare that. And I hadn't put any thought into fjords because I didn't know there were any around here, or in, and I certainly hadn't seen one. And it was Rory who did the investigated and found the National Registry and then list of farms in this part of the country. And then we started looking for farms that might have horses that were within an eight hour drive. We didn't want to have several day drive to do it. We bought our first fjords and the mares were pregnant and we had the great idea that we were going to breed them and sell like breed one a year after we had the first two foals and then sell the foals. Yeah. And we discovered we were really, really bad at selling and we sold leave. <laughs> when she was a three-year-old and then we kind of regretted that. And then we were going to sell Nils who was born the second year. He was Gelded by then, and he, we were going to sell him as a well, three year old. And then I made the mistake of reading Black Beauty just before we were going to sell it. And you don't ever want to sell a horse after you just right after you've read that book. And <laughs> anyway, my mistake. And then we were going to, we waited for a while and then we were going to sell him. And then Rory said, We're not selling him. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> we had sold, like I said, we sold leave. And so six years after we sold her, when she was nine, the woman who bought her, who had taken good care of her, but the leave was the one who was the smarter, better of the pair. And she was kind of running things because stewards will do that if you let them. And she was going to put her up for sale and we didn't want to risk her going someplace where we didn't have oversight so we bought her back. We don't breed horses anymore.
1: I'm Rory Miller, obviously married to Christine, and we live here in Shalus, Washington. We have five fjords, and we have a retired Arab who was my dressage horse at one point, and we have a retired mini horse that Christine drove was a championship driving horse. I'm retired and have been retired for 10 years, so my life is very focused on the farm and the horses and particularly my driving. The best way to describe it, having horses is a lifestyle. And on Strawberry Hill Farm here or Strawberry Hill Fjords, that's what we do. We're up at 6.30, the horses are fed and cared for. And then at noontime, once again, they're given a lunch or turned out to pasture for for, for a short period of time. And in the evening time, there's a cleanup and getting them ready for night and feeding and all of that. We have five fjords. We have an Arab who is my dressage horse. And we have a mini horse. And she's a story, too. Christine is an advanced dressage rider and a very accomplished rider. I am I'm an okay rider. My passion is to drive. Having
0: found some real fjord horse people I could talk to, I first wanted to understand the history of the breed in Scandinavia and what the horses were used for. I'd always assumed that they were used on farms. Is draft horse the right word? Workhorse?
2: Oh, that's the hard one. It depends who you're asking that. Sometimes they're looked at as draft ponies, they're actually a horse breed. right got really technical about it. It's a horse breed. It was developed, and there's evidence archaeologically that they've been domesticated for around 3,500 to 4,000 years. And the early Norse started selective breeding them about 2,000 years ago. And they were small farms on the west side of Norway. So, and if a person had a horse, they generally had a horse. They didn't Mm -hmm. have a whole lot. There wasn't a lot of land. And they lived in very close proximity, usually the same building, often underneath, because a lot of houses are on the side hill, which was great for having cows and horses, because then the heat from those bodies helped a little bit with heating the house. But so close proximity. So they had to have horses that were very sure-footed. They had to be strong, and a fjord, pound for pound, is considered the strongest horse in the world. They had to pull logs, they had to do whatever, they ride town, and so they developed to have to do just about everything. And so horses that were not fitting the bill on that or had bad personalities ended up on the dinner plate. <laughs> and so and it still happens. So it developed a very personable, people-oriented, and highly intelligent breed. And occasionally, they use that intelligence against you if they can, because they right. are smart. But they're really great horses. But yes, it, it depends. There's so much there in, as far as the definition of draft pony, there are some that call them that. And again, like I said, it's a horse breed. But in showing, yes, it's a horse breed, and we can go in any horse class. But because of the parameters of what designates a pony class, if there are pony size classes and driving there definitely by height, most fjords fit within the pony division. So, you know, so just call them whatever you want.
0: So can you talk a little bit about the different types of colors that you get in fjord horses?
2: There are five approved colors in fjords, and that's of them are the brown dun, which is the the color like you've seen pictures of ours. They're the brown duns. There is a gray dun, which has a little bit grayer body, but it's not like a gray Arab where it's kind of dapply than that. Mm -hmm. It is every fiber or every hair is the same color, basically. It's an even gray. And both the gray and the brown dun, they've got the light mane. On the sides, and you've got the black stripe down. Brown dun and the gray dun both have a black stripe down the middle of the mane and through all the way through the tail. Then there is the third color is the red dun, which is a, it's a dilution of the chestnut horse, just an all brown horse. And that one is it's kind of a little bit lighter, but similar color to the brown dun on the body. And it's same white on the mane, but instead of a black stripe down in the mane and the rest, it's a kind of a reddish brown stripe on that. And then there is the white dun, mm-hmm. which is, is kind of a dilution of this dun factor of the brown duns. And the white dun is basically, it's a pretty much white body. You'll have the white main and then you have a black down the middle of the main also. The fifth color is called the white. And that one is it's a dilution of if I recall the red done. And there's virtually no additional. It might be a little bit of a kind of a reddish cast to down the middle of the main yeah. and down the back.
0: Now, it may sound like Christina mentioned two white colors. The first is actually the white dun, and the second one, the white or kvite coloration, is different. I read something about, are they spots, something called nyal? Nyal oh, spots? Oh,
2: nyal's mark. mark. What are those? It's a brown spots that sometimes appear like above the eyebrows. The most common is right in the middle of the cheek on either side. And in the later 1800s, to back up to why this came about, the Swedes still owned Norway at that time. And the Swedish officials came up with the bright idea that Sjord should be crossed with the Dörda Hest, or here are sometimes called dole horse, because it's a little bit bigger and they thought they could get a bigger workhorse. And so the Norwegians were forced to do it because the state has control over the breeding stallions and that. And it turned out to be a dismal failure. The first generation was okay. The second generation, they had, they were ugly and they had bad personalities and it was just (laughs) huge mistakes and mistaken. The farmers finally just rose up and rebelled on it, and Njol is the stallion. He was a retired purebred stallion who was brought back to breeding, and so he's credited. He had those marks on his cheek, and so a lot of his offspring have it. Now, it's kind of a romantic notion to say that Newell is responsible for all of the foals of the generation after that, because Norway is a pretty mountainous country, and one stallion is not going to cover all the mares that need covering in the course of a year. In that <laughs> mountainous country, so but it sounds good in the telling, and he was the one where that first showed up. And leave has
1: the gnoll's mark on either side.
0: Can you describe for folks who maybe don't have a picture that the mane is is fairly unique, wouldn't you say, and the way you keep it?
2: Well, it's unique in the way it's cut. And it's something that Viking and pre-Norse or early Norse art shows. The mane is cut in an arc, so it stands up. And traditionally, it's cut flat across the top. A lot of horses like ours, we have kind of a little bit different. It used to be called in Norway, the funeral cut. <laughs> and what does, you notch it down. Well, there actually was a reason for that. Okay. It is, notched down. When you would, it would be pulling for or a carriage for taking somebody to bury them, then they would cut the outer, the white on the outer edges down a little bit. So you see the black as a, it's a mourning thing, but it's become extremely popular because it really shows off the black or the red much nicer. When it is two tiered, and then people have gone into doing Greek keys and hearts and all sorts of things like that. <laughs> so. so,
0: so are you saying then that if you cut a non-Fjord horse, cut the mane, that the hairs are not uniquely like bristly on the Fjord horse? Oh, but yeah. that, that, Or they are more that more so than other horses.
2: No, it's, they can be finer or coarser, but they stand up because it's been allowed to grow that way. Uh-huh. It's the horse's mane that falls over. And in fact, if you let your fjord's mane grow out far enough that it falls over and starts looking like a regular mane, some generally the only way you can get it to stand up again properly is to roach or it's clipping it all the way down to the skin. And then when it's cut that way, then it takes a while. You just grow it out and, and it'll stand up. Mm. And so, but again, it's there's a limit. And some horses' manes will fall over faster than others because of the texture of the hair. But and then you generally just keep it a little bit shorter than, you know, each, each is an individual and you have some play in how well you do it. It grows about an inch a month. So then work accordingly.
1: So so every month, Christine is going through five horses, trimming them up and making sure that they're all just prim and proper. Wow. And it takes about an hour, hour and a half per horse.
0: So then I asked Rory to talk about his training the fjord horses in driving. Now, it may sound like driving has to do with a car, but with horses, it means you hitch one or more horses to a cart or something which you ride in. Uh, The person holding the reins is the driver, and moving them forward or backwards is known as driving
1: I started with Celia to drive, and we sent her up to a gentleman who has passed away since, Brian Jensen, to train her to drive. And then I went up and learned to drive with him, with Celia. We then advanced and eventually brought Leave online as a second horse for a pair. And what I did is I did most of the training of Leave at home. And every night I'd phone Brian for tips and Report back on what it, what we had accomplished, and so on and so forth. It took us about six months to do to get her ready to be actually hitched. Then Brian came down, and we hitched her. And the next day, we hitched the pair, and it was absolutely exciting. Absolutely exciting. For purposes of my education, driving is
0: harnessing the horses to a cart,
1: a carriage. Has dri- driven a single. And to a cart and and has driven to a carriage also. A cart is two wheeled, a carriage is four. And then you were able to have them drive as a pair. So then I compete what's called combined driving events. And the first day is dressage where there's a given pattern that's been driven in a limited size court. In this case, it's 80 meters uh, by 40 meters. And it's a pattern that's compulsory. And then the next day is marathon. And at the level I'm driving, at preliminary level, it runs anywhere from 6 to 12 kilometers. And in that are generally anywhere from 4 to 6 obstacles or hazards, one of which is water. And then the third day is precision driving. And there are cones that are traffic cones they are 18 inches tall. And there's a little ball on sitting on top. The width of the cones is, for me, about not quite 10 centimeters wider than my wheelbase. So it isn't oh, much. Tight. So I have about I have about a hand's width on either side to get through that particular course. There are 20 gates to go through. It is required that there's at least one serpentine, which is difficult to drive, and it's timed. So one not only has to be precise, but he has to be fast. And with the pair, you have the length of the horse, which is what, two, two and a half meters, and then about another two and a half meters of carriage to get all the way through that particular gate, and then line up for the next gate. So it's pretty tricky. Mm -hmm. We're not too bad at it. (laughs) So last year, we were reserve champion for the Pacific Northwest, and the year before, we were the overall champions. And we've done that a couple of times. So Wow. Christine has driven singles and has done singles one, the same. Her dressage horse, Sandra, is also a very, very accomplished driving horse. So I'll let Christine brag up Sandra a little bit. I will. Can I ask you a couple? So what this competition shows,
0: I guess, is your relationship to the horse, the fine training and control.
1: What would you say that shows? Well, first of all, versatility, because you're being asked in a combined driving event to do three different events, three different styles of driving, three different kinds of requirements for the horse and the horse's abilities. Fjords are wonderfully adapted at this because they like to do it all and they like the variety. I don't know what, what more to say about combined driving, except that it's challenging, fun and exciting. So the horses going through water otherwise would freak out a horse. Is that why that's a challenge? Yes and no. It's just another challenge to make sure the horse can function in any kind of environment.
0: Yeah, you were saying in the training description that a lot of it was getting them near each other or having one watch each other or just getting comfortable doing these really basic things. That's what that was.
1: Uh, and for example, I would ground, ground drive them so they weren't hooked to a carriage. I had long lines on them, uh, walk behind, and say I created a great big mud puddle out in the back and I, I drove them through it. Uh, at first, I would lead them through it and I'd walk through it myself. And pretty soon, they'd get used to the fact of water on their feet and running water and they'd go, Oh, I got it. And then they would just go through. And then I'd pair them up and try to get both of them to go through. And I uh, get pretty wet in the process because they splash. Yeah, What's
2: intimidating
1: about going through water for horses,
2: and some horses are just naturally more averse to it. A lot of Arabs don't like it. Uh-huh. that whole breed developed in a very sandy, hot, dry place. Right. So it depends, like I said, on the horse. but. But water can be very intimidating because they can't really see bottom. They don't know what sort of surface they're going on. So it's a huge act of faith for them to be willing to just go splashing through anything mm-hmm. that you ask them to go through. And that's why it's an important sort of a hazard in doing the marathon.
0: Ground driving would is sort of what what you'd be doing if you hitched a plow, right? Correct. Is it? Okay. Right.
1: And in fact, in in their training, they're hitched to a log, and I have them pull a log. And I also have a stone boat, and I put a couple Mm. of bales of hay in it to make sure it's heavy, and they have to drag it also. So if your
0: horses go for a lot of money, right? More than some recreational horses. Some less than
2: others. If you want to go for the huge bucks, you go for warm bloods. Right. But it depends on the breeding. It depends on the confirmation, the training, the sure. age. There's so many variables involved that they don't give them away. But I don't know that they're <laughs> any worse than like a quality quarter horse or Sure. Or, so it's something
0: like twenty-five, thirty thousand 30000 is what I read.
2: That's that's um, unusual.
0: Yeah, unusually high.
2: Yeah, yes. that's unusually high. Oh, mm, yeah, I see. So it's certainly a possibility in today's market. Now, horses have really gone up in price. So, and I'm out of touch with it. So, again, yeah, for yeah.
1: a well trained, nicely confirmation fjord between 15 and 20,000, that's what Eric yeah. is asking.
2: Yeah, that's sounds yeah. that about right.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay.
2: And we have five that you couldn't get at any price. So, yeah.
0: And then the cost of the horse is just the beginning, right? It's oh, all the, oh. <laughs> oh, 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 that's only a
2: small part. Yeah. And you start whether it's feed vet bills, equipment, and then whether you get into driving, where there's all sorts of things that are ridiculously expensive and need mm-hmm. to be quality, or getting into massage riding where the saddle has to fit just right. And a small correction, I am not an upper-level rider. I'm mid-level at best. Rory is far too kind. So anyway, (laughs) but with dressage, yeah, you'll find maybe the saddle won't be fitting the horse correctly. And then you pour out another few thousand for another one. So it costs
1: money. Uh, Christine sort of uh, uh, downgrades herself. She's an excellent rider. Well, she's Norwegian.
0: And you just... (laughs) You just do not. No, you're modest. So can you talk a little bit about dressage and for folks who don't know what that is? And
2: Dressage directly means training, and hmm. it is a way of riding. It's, you know, technically one wants to start to think about English riding and the type of saddles and that. Hmm. But it's all in the training of making the, the body of the horse do what you're wanting to do. And it's, it has all sorts of levels. They, you want it to do at a precise point in the dressage arena, which has markers around it mm. to designate the place that you make this change, like from a walk to a canter or trot ones, or you start making lateral moves where they're moving at a diagonal, but mm. face forward, moving diagonally. All sorts of things. There are a whole lot of moves. Each level increases difficulty exponentially, and it's like a dance between the rider and the horse. If somebody is interested, they should YouTube brisage riding. Then they'll see pictures of the really upper, upper level horses that I don't. Not in that category at all. But it's a wonderful exercise. It's incredible mental and physical exercise for both the horse and the rider. And you mm. have to do this as a team. Yeah. So, there is a definitely a level of difficulty to it so um, but it's wonderful to do it's extremely challenging
1: then when you drive a dressage test it gets a little more complicated and then you mm-hmm. drive a pair and it gets even more complicated because you may correct one and goof up the other <laughs>
0: Sounds like some amount of oh, luck a, luck and chance in yeah, there. As
1: Christine said, it's a wonderful dance. That's the best way to describe it. Yeah. It's, it's really pretty to watch.
0: Rory and Christine were then kind enough to show us around their stable and arena, and I thought you might like to tag along. We began in the tack room, where they keep saddles and reins and such. Is there an obvious difference you could point out between English and Western saddles?
2: The endurance saddle I've got has kind of a Western look but it's kind of pruned down and I didn't have a horn put on it because I didn't need it. These are actually dressage saddles which is kind of one of the types of English type saddles
1: because they're jump saddles. And These are riding bits. This This is your trail bit and then over here are all the driving cars. we use what's called a mulling and if you look at it carefully you'll see that it's curved to give them tongue relief and it's at a 45 degree angle so you don't pound their roof of their mouth too bad so we have different kinds of reins this is a Paris rain and it's designed so that it crosses over so Okay. This goes to the outside. Nice, long. And this one goes to the inside and it goes to the other. side. figure those about 10 feet. Eight, eight, uh, 10, these are 12.
0: 12 feet long leather straps.
1: There's a mathematical formula to hook these things together. It was designed by the Germans. It's, really quite, it's very simple. <laughs> and then depending on your hand width, there are different widths of lines.
0: Now, Celia, the fjord horse, was waiting for us with her head over the rail but she was missing this cloth over her head that the other horses had. This cloth has mesh screening around the eyes so that she could see out.
1: Where's your mask, Celia? Honest to Pete.
0: Oh, and that keeps the flies out of their eyes. Oh, yeah. Eyes. yeah. Oh, that's oh, yeah. I'm so fantastic. Glad when I see
2: the horses out in the fields and they just look like, oh. field, oh, sorry.
0: Yeah. Cool.
1: How to do something. Yeah, and oh.
2: Sondra has a real sensitivity to the... The light and the flies, if she's even out there a couple hours when there are a lot of flies and a lot of sunshine, she'll come in, her eyes are swollen and they're runny. And so if there's any question of whether or not masks are needed, she gets one.
0: Now we learned that there are competitions that stipulate the age of the horse and the rider.
2: If all goes well, she and I are going to do what's called a century ride this year which is through the Dressage Federation. that You can do it driving also, which uh, Rory's thinking about some years when he qualifies to do it. The main criteria, you have to ride a dressage pattern in front of a, a judge at either a schooling or an accredited sort of show. Any pattern of dressage and any level you want, but the necessary criteria is the horse and the human's age has to add up to 100 or more. So, and we hit that this year. <laughs> and my old girl. So, so, in two, three years, Rory and his girls will qualify, and he wants to do it driving.
0: So, so if they lived 25, 30 years, you've got to be at least, what, 75-something?
2: Yeah. right. I am 75 this year. Yeah.
0: Then we were shown their horse whips, and we talked a little bit about reins for a pair of horses.
2: If you hold this... <laughs> you generally hold them about here and yeah. you feel the weight take it in the hold with your hand there and lightly and you have kind of find your own balance point yeah. now move your hand way back on it feel how heavy it feels now yes I do so you mm-hmm. find the balance point and everybody has to find yeah. their own spot and what their preferences
0: are with. and you've said it's about at least with driving, it's about touching them and steering, not like you're cracking the whip. Oh,
2: no, 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 no. no, no. It's all touch. It's a cue. It's it. like when you're driving, you don't have the leg cues that you have with oh, riding. don't have
1: really. As much well, you've yeah, yeah, Still, they communicate longer. up
2: there. And it's both Because with pairs, they have Oh, look There at are two reins that are wise, Right, right. Yeah. And, and they cross. The left side yeah, that's what you're showing us. Two the left horse and the right to the right. Uh-huh. So what you do to one, you do to the other, which is why it's important, to, if you drive a pair, to do actually most of the practicing and working with them as singles so they learn how to do it right and get the right cues. And
0: so we talked a little about food.
2: They get to go out in the morning before the sugar is up in the grass to have their breakfast, but then they get hay the rest of the day, and we buy a lowers sugar hay. That's the downside of having fjords in this kind of country where we've got temperate climate, grass grows well. Just Norway is 95% non-tillable land. Yeah, it's right. kind of cool. And so they grew up in rough terrain and slimmer pickings. And so we don't let them out there... <laughs> Yeah, hay pellets. Hay, yeah. This makes it easier. Her teeth are in good shape, but she's lost a couple. She's old.
0: It amazes oh. me they can pull the hay out of those nets, but they sure do oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. with their teeth.
2: Hmm. Yeah, they, kind of, they get good at it. And with the finer you know, with smaller holes in these
1: nets, yeah.
2: it's hard. But the first day we hung those nets, I was in Lana's stall, and she was kind of poking at it. She'd never encountered that type of thing before. And she was kind of trying to grab up. Nothing was happening. And she gave me this look like, you're trying to kill me, aren't you? And it was just the most pathetic thing. So I walked over to her, and I reached, and I pulled out a couple of strands. And you could see her eyes get this aha look. started eating it and had no problem after
1: that.
0: And then there's the treats that horses like.
1: Oh, they know their treats. The grandkids, of course, when they were little, most of them are teenagers now, uh, they would come, they would run down to the barn, go into the icebox over there, and grab carrots. They know what they can them. And so all the horses associate short people with Carrots. (laughs) <laughs> now, adults that are short, they associate with carrots.
0: Training horses for competition includes teaching horses how to get into a trailer.
2: So it's like talking about training to get into a trailer. People think that if they've got a horse that isn't wanting to get in, you'll see a lot of people, they'll get in the trailer and they'll stand facing the horse who is, first of all, being asked to go into a very claustrophobic area Mm -hmm. and small spaces are where things live that want to eat horses. You know, in a wooded area, in a caved area, contained areas. Horses want to be out where they can see what's coming at them. So, you're standing there like a predator, because we are, and telling it, come here to this predator, I want you to come to me, I'm a predator and you're coming into a dangerous area. Not
0: work. It
1: doesn't work. I watched two cowboys, literally, one guy was pulling the horse in, the other guy was shoving the horse that way. Yeah. The they were there for a oh, good I hour. Oh that, my yeah. goodness, it was so funny. And I said, you better go out there and show those guys out. And she grabbed a hold of the horse and walked right into the trailer. They were going to just muscle the horse in and we've got to be able to work around them and we've got to be oh, able to yeah. move oh. them very quickly and easily if you're
2: because i've been watching her too
1: so when the lady who is my groom she and i wear our safety vests and helmets when we're Tell harnessing you? we've both been knocked around pretty badly i've punched into a hitching rail once oh i my. did it my head. hit and mean, they got to something you got to them and they moved too quickly and pushed me. You've talked
0: about a, all I can remember is a lead sled. I think it's a stone boat. Is that, is that the right?
1: Yeah. Oh, we can go out and see, see one. They use them for literally hauling, hauling stones stone. out of a field.
0: Mm-hmm. And that kind of thing is vaguely similar to plowing? If I mean, the setup? Well, as far oh, yeah. as the harness, yeah. it's a good way to teach
2: a horse to start driving, too. Yeah just knowing that there's something
1: behind there, it's following. We put her cool. to the stone boat one day and we were out on the gravel so she'd get used to the noise, oh, incredible yeah. noise. And she, I said, step up, and she did, and we went about 10 meters. And she looked at me and I said, are you kidding? And I said, just a little bit more. And went a little bit more and I said, okay, well, undo all this stuff.
0: You made it sound like one of your descriptions that you might Get them all set up and, and be out for half an hour, and that's it for the day. That's that, right.
1: That's right. That's
2: right. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot of work
1: for them. Um, it's a question of um, intensity rather than long, long time. Mm-hmm. I want to accomplish something like two days ago, all we were doing was a right hand turn in a circle mm-hmm. so that we get. One, the inside horse bending properly, so and and to work the reins in a way that I could communicate to them by simple, literally squeezing in my hand whether I wanted more outside or more inside.
0: Rory and Christine have an arena next to the stable, this large rectangular yard with a fence around it, where one rides dressage or practices one's routines. There were these curious numbers and, and letters spaced around the arena on the fence that I, I couldn't figure out.
1: So the markings in the in a dressage court were the German king came to visit and so they put parking signs up. So K for the king. Okay. Oh F huh? is for Fürste or the Prince. Right. Okay. So they put up all these marking signs. Yeah. So that they could park their horses. Well, then the cavalry came in and thought, well, leave the signs up and we'll just use them for training. And that's how they occurred. Then the French said, well, then you have to have letters for the middle. X is right square in the middle of the arena. So there's a little X under the E. Oh, yes. And I is over towards the middle and G is towards the middle. So that's how they all came to be and it's sort of comical. And dressage riders are constantly checking how their horse is going and how they're sitting. So there are mirrors so that you can I see, see that. everything. Yeah. Huge mirrors. And when I drive down the center line, I want to be able to see, I want to see that A right behind my carriage so that I have a nice straight line. And you can see I was practicing 20 meter circles and then I, I did a shorter circle. I was going for a 15, but it's actually a little bit bigger than a 15-meter circle. This is 20 meters wide by 40. This is a short-court dressage. And you just learn how to make it round? (laughs) I've been doing this since 2008. You can see that I can do a halfway decent circle sometimes. Yeah,
0: instead of an oval or something. It became obvious to me, as you've no doubt heard yourself, that there's something special about the horses and how Rory and Christine relate to them, how that relationship is critical to working with them. And as we finished our time at the farm, I wanted to hear Rory and Christine talk a little bit more about that relationship. What do
1: you like about training,
0: Rory, about your part and what you do? What, what what drives you on that?
1: The, the piece about training is that connection between me and those two horses, Celia and Liev. And it's deeply personal, so much so that uh, if I'm out cleaning up the barnyard, they'll come over and they'll just want to be with me. And part of the training process is just being with them, not doing anything, just right. walking around with them. At one point... I just took a chair and sat it out in the pasture and just sat there with them. And they would come over and nibble at the grass at my feet and we would just be together. And when that connection happens, I know that there are times in driving when I thought I just had the thought about doing something and they did it. And it was incredible, incredible experience. There were times, too, when we were on marathon Particularly one marathon course was rather tricky because of the brush and there were a lot of roots and junk on the trail. And I just said, it's yours. And I just gave them their their heads. And they picked the best course through. And we didn't hit anything. It it was just incredible. I remember one time we came over a a covered bridge and we were going too fast when we were going down, down off the bridge on a steep slope. And I started to slide sideways, and they sensed the slide, and the two of them just jerked their heads and literally whipped the carriage back straight. They just knew how to do it. All of us were in concert. There were just three heads are better than one.
0: Wow. It sounds pretty magical.
1: It, it is incredible. The feeling is just incredible. And Christine can tell you about what that feeling is like in dressage, particularly with Sandra. She She's the same way. It's When you have
2: the the relationship with them, the horses pretty much know what you're thinking before you even realize you're thinking it. And they feel tiny things in your body that if you're giving them the wrong signal, they'll do the wrong thing. But when you get it right, it's lovely. And but it's having that relationship with Sandra, when we bought her, she was afraid of people and we had to trap her to catch her because she just had no trust. And over the years she's become this incredible animal who I've done just about everything with her. And you get a relationship that's just like no other. I know that even if she's in a situation where either she's feeling really spicy, which for a 25-year-old horse, you wouldn't expect, but she does. (laughs) Today was one of them. (laughs) I know she's never going to blow up on me and do something really stupid or dangerous. And and that's a nice feeling.
0: Over the years, Rory and Christine have been generous in sharing their time and knowledge and Fjord horses with the public to help them understand about the breed, about Scandinavia, about riding and driving, just as they were doing at a Norwegian Heritage Day in Olympia, Washington.
1: So Celia is paired with her sister and Sandra is paired with her mom. see. Sandra is twenty five, Celia is eighteen. Uh, Sandra is riding second-level train. So parts of third. But... Parts of third. Well, thank you. We've you been bet. talking yeah, you a little you bit, bit that. but I appreciate uh, it. Right, that's, right. that's all right. Thanks for sharing this. You bet. Thank you. Hi. Welcome
2: to
1: Florida.
0: If there are such things as traditional Nordic horses, there has to be something in Nordic culture about them. And there is. A tradition passed down for a few hundred years at least, which many of you, my listeners, may have experienced. It's a tradition among Nordic parents who, while sitting in a chair, put a small child on one knee and hold their hands for balance. And when you do this, you bump your leg up and down, usually to the delight of the child, hopefully, and you recite a poem in the cadence of moving your knee up and down, as if the child is riding a horse. In 1871, a fellow named Zacharias Topelius, a Finnish-Swedish writer, wrote a poem in his collection, Lessning for Barn, Readings for Children, that has since spawned many different versions in all the different Nordic languages, including Finnish. In his poem, Topelius imagines, and this is completely invented, but the names are real, he imagines a child named Håkon, who is riding the knee of Queen Blanca of Namur? Queen Blanca was a real queen. She came from the area Namur in Belgium, who, around the mid 1300s, ruled with King Magnus IV, Magnus Eriksson, over Sweden and Norway. So there was this queen, who was real, there was this child, Hulken, who was real and young. And this scene of Hoken on Blanca's knee was vivid enough for the painter Albert Adelfelt, who in eighteen seventy seven painted Namur and Hokken in what's called Ri de Ronke. I'll put that on the website so you can see that. Anyway, since Queen Blanque was acting the part of the horse, galloping the child, Hoken, Topelius imagines this horse's name as Blanca. And that the child, Holken, is setting off to court a maid named Margareta. And in real life, he was actually married off to Margareta, or Anna Maya Greta, when he was 10 years old. So there's some names there that are real, and relationships that were real. So of course I'm talking about the rhyme, ride, ride, or ride, ride, the horsey, the rocking horse. And I'll put some of these many versions of this rhyme uh, on our episode page for you to read in different languages. Now, I'd like to read one in Norwegian, just a couple verses, and what's unusual about it is it involves some canines. It goes like this. Imagine I'm moving my knee up and down. Ryd, ronke. Hesten heter liten Junker på. skal junken ri? Til which means ride, ride the horsey. The horse's name is Blanque, and upon her the horse sat a little suitor. Where's the suitor going to ride to the king's estate to woo to court? Er ingen andre yme, en tu små wofer ligger under borobänker, gnager på sina lenker och ser Wof vuff There's no one else at home than these two small woofers, dogs, lying under the table and benches, gnawing on some bones, and they're saying, woof, woof, woof. You can imagine if you say this in the right cadence, move your leg up and down. You'd think that would be fun. The poems have also been set to music in different languages, and I'll put some of these melodies on the episode's website too. Uh, one of my favorite Danish musician, Jesper Jespersen, who goes by the name Jesper Spillemond, on YouTube sings all the verses with his guitar, so it's a great video. I'll put a link to that. It's it's delightful. The tune goes something like Rida Rida Runke Beste Rida Rida Ranke. So I encourage any of you who are out there who have experienced Rida Rida Ranke or something like it with their parents or grandparents. Perhaps you've been the horse for your children or your grandchildren. Please leave a comment or write to on tap at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to tell others on a future program your experience. Don't forget to check out the show notes for more information and extras from this episode. Depending on what app you're using to listen to the podcast, you should be able to find them the notes. By looking for a button or a link labeled show notes or episode notes, if you're using Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Podbean, you can simply scroll down while listening to an episode, and the show notes should be there. For other apps like Spotify, Overcast, Pocket Casts, you may need to tap a button or a link to access the notes. And if you're having trouble finding show notes, don't hesitate to reach out via our website, nordicontap.com, or through our email, nordicontap at gmail.com. We'd be happy to help you out. And if you appreciate and want to support the show and keep us going, click that Buy Me a Coffee button to help us out with some funds. Of course, Nordic on Tap will continue to be, and will always be, free to listen to. That's it for this podcast. I thank Rory and Christine Miller for sharing their experiences in raising and training Fjord Horses. And also I thank Liv, Silja, Sandra, Lana, Nils, and Bugs, who we met on the farm. Our intro tune is Morton Alfred Heurep's Inglis Waltz, played by him and Ruthie Dornfield. On Morton Alfred's website, mortonalfred.com, you can order the music for the whole piece. The outgoing music is composed and performed by Daryl Jackson, who is at daryljacksonmusic.com. Thanks for joining me for this podcast on Norwegian Fjord Horses. I'm Eric Stavney, and gang we will be seeing you next time Po Nordic On Tap. Hade!